0: The Wildlife Observer Network. Hello and welcome to Birding Today. I'm one of your hosts, Tony crosell This is an interview podcast, so um, when we do interview podcasts, George and I usually split them up. I think it works better that way. So uh, George not on this podcast will be on uh, the next one probably. Uh, but today um, I'm interviewing... A really good friend of mine, someone I respect immensely and think it's one of the loveliest people I've ever had the pleasure of meeting, Holly Merker, and she's been doing some cool projects. Uh, one of them is the ornithotherapy the Facebook page. She also has a business called Ornithotherapy, and considering a lot of people are hurting right now with COVID-19, I think she'd be a really good person to talk to about how birds can uplift your spirits and what that looks like when everybody's stuck indoors right now so uh how you doing holly
1: hey tony thank you so much for having me here today how are you
0: i am fantastic more or less
1: (laughs) yeah yeah well it's spring now and that's a good thing outdoors um that's the one thing that is really kind of a silver lining for us here in the northern hemisphere is that spring is unfolding and we've got lots of bountiful nature outside our doors to be looking at and connecting with and As you've probably noticed, uh, more people than ever are really flocking to parks and anywhere they can find open to be outdoors and in nature. And that's because nature provides us with immeasurable benefits to our health uh, mentally and physically. And, you know, I think everybody knows that um, inside their core, but right now it's all kind of hitting home. And that's the basis of ornotherapy, as you mentioned. So that ornotherapy is connecting people to birds um, to get those same kind of benefits. So that's, that's a little bit about what ornotherapy is. And the name ornotherapy um, came from a gentleman in the 1970s in England who uh, came up with the concept because there's this whole ecotherapy movement now, which again, uh, all research is, is proving that being outdoors and connecting with the natural world can lower your blood pressure can decrease the the level of cortisol in your saliva which means that you're less stressed out um also have cardiac benefits of course being outside and exercising is great but you know this is a concept that people have been practicing for a long time
0: lovely so how's it um you have the facebook group which is growing and growing and then you have a business so um why don't you walk us through um uh, each of those entities and how they get started and, and what you're doing with them.
1: Sure. Okay, so um, the the Ornotherapy business started first. So Richard and I came up with a concept um, to bring birding and, or- well, basically what I just described. We, we are both strong believers in the connection to wildlife and nature and the rewards that it pays to us as people. And both of us are... Um, Strong conservationist, and we are aiming to hope to connect more people to uh, the outdoor world in a different way, in a more intimate way. So, um, we, as both of us are professional birding guides and have spent a lot of time working with people, um, young and old, um, teaching them how to identify birds. We decided that what we'd like to do is to be able to bring this into the workplace to help people de stress um, because. Um, Corporate America right now is suffering from a lot of anxiety. People are overworked. They're fatigued by their uh, computers, uh, digital fatigue, if you will. And getting a little mental break by resetting your brain, literally changing the area of brain your brain that's activated by stepping outside your door and then connecting with something else has immeasurable benefits. Again, it's, it, it reduces stress. It increases productivity and creativity. So, Uh, We developed a a business plan and model, which would um, take people who are uh, in a work environment, um, outside, outdoors for programming, much like uh, a lot of um, companies now have wellness programs that uh, provide yoga or meditation. So this would be ornotherapy, connecting people to birds um, and uh, being rewarded with these therapeutic benefits of de-stressing and increasing your creativity, things like that. You and I know both that how much it provides to us, you know, how much um, connecting with birds and nature brings to our lives, you know, so we want to bring that to other people's lives. We know it it can be an amazing experience and beneficial to companies.
0: Absolutely. And you mentioned uh, Richard, but to our listeners uh, who might not know, you're referring to Richard Crosley of the Crosley Guides.
1: That's right. Yeah. So my business partner um, and co-founder for uh, Ornotherapy.com and also the Facebook group is Richard Crossley, who has authored um, the Crossley ID guides, um, multiple uh, guides now at this point. um, The Eastern Eastern guide, um, which is to Eastern birds of North America, but also co-authored the shorebird guide um, and also raptors. And his latest book was The Waterfowl ID Guide. So, and um, England, yes.
0: right, England and Ireland, right?
1: That's correct. Yes, yes. don't let me forget that. Because, uh, <laughs> of course, I, Mr. Crossley is <laughs> from Yorkshire, England. Yeah. So, I have yeah, everything with the Waterfowl
0: like... Guide. I got to get
1: that. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. It's so, so good. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. The imagery is amazing. And his, uh, what, how he presents everything, how he lays it out really. It's as good as connecting two dimensionally to uh, birds and nature as you can get in my opinion.
0: So Holly and I are both uh, environmental educators as well. Um, I don't know if you help, if you want to go into that, but I, we were just discussing before the started how I think his guides are some of the best for what a field guide is best at in an era of apps, I think apps do not cannot replicate um, studying. They're great to, to looking up something right? Uh, maybe right. But to like really learn the search image. I think nothing beats flipping through a field guide. And I think he took that to the next level. And so I highly recommend his guides. And whenever, you know, I'll have like a buffet of guides laid out at my facility and people pick up that guide first all the time. And I think it, so, you know, a lot of experienced birders might not really see the value, but I think just like it's hard to evaluate like Merlin app, right. Where, you know, I never, I didn't grow up using apps. So it's hard for me to evaluate how an app is because I'm already an expert, but his guides, I think, are really good for beginners. But also, I just like pages through them. So I'm a fan. And you see some of that in his style of uh, doing these composite images. I've seen that on the Ornotherapy Facebook page as well.
1: That's right. Yeah. So so we developed the Facebook group um, right after, let's see, it was like March 14th. So what happened was we realized all of a sudden we were going to go into this lockdown phase and that people were going to need to have an outlet and, um, we knew that like connecting with birds was going to be huge because if we're all confined to our own outdoor spaces or, you know, for an urban settings, just we limited on where we can go. We wanted people to remember that connecting with birds can provide immeasurable, you know, benefits again and can bring you, um, joy and contentment and also fill you up when you kind of need kind of that pick me up when you're feeling kind of down. And so what's happened is, um, we do. I, I, every day, I, ch- I post a challenge, an ornotherapy challenge, which um, gives people the opportunity to connect with birds right outside their door. So, um, I'll give like I'll give some facts, maybe about a bird or um, about uh, phenomena in nature, and then um, some uh, like kind of t- like go try this for yourself. And you know, one of them is like walk outdoors and close your eyes and just focus on listening and see how many bird songs that you can hear and how many do you think you heard and were they overlapping. I mean, you don't need to identify birds. It's just the process of listening and really tuning in. So mindful observation with your ears and eyes. And so that's the goal is getting people to connect in a different way. And so um, through those ornotherapy challenges, um, people have been, Uh, posting their own experiences, what birds bring to them, what it means to them to uh, connect with birds in different ways. Um, So it's been really fantastic. We've got over 2,100 members now from around the globe um, and very active group. People are constantly posting. I think people love being able to share what birds and birding brings to them. Um, And a lot of, actually, a lot of these people have never even connected with birds before. They've kind of just accidentally found our group or have been invited by other friends who thought they might enjoy it. And it has been so cool to watch people learn and to connect and share.
0: How sophisticated are you getting with this? Are you, you like, integrating with, um, like, any occupational therapists or uh, meeting special needs groups? Or is this still kind of in its... um is this still a sort of fledgling operation? And you haven't gotten there yet,
1: <laughs> right? So, so because um, the business model started at the beginning of this year, and Richard and I also have another business together called the um, ID Boot Camp. Um, we had just finished up our uh, first program in Florida, um, and that's a that's another I can talk about that in a minute. But because we were um, finishing up with that and just getting started with the ornitherapy business, uh, when COVID nineteen uh, kind of put everything, brought everything to a screeching halt, except for, you know, the Facebook group, um, we haven't been able to do what we are hoping to do yet. So that's on the horizon. So I have a background in art therapy, and I'm also an environmental educator um, as well. So I, I'm kind of hoping to, to couple. I, for years, I felt like I've been delivering nature therapy anyway, um, using my background, um, educational background in, in art therapy and and then, you know, practicing that as an environmental educator, not using art as a vehicle, but using nature. And now more than ever, as you know, Tony, I mean, we we just we need these kids out there, especially to connect. All people um, benefit from connecting with nature. But especially if you know how rewarding it is to be able to teach somebody something in the outdoor world and, and open their eyes to new discoveries. So. Um, yeah, it, it's 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 one of those things that we're still working on. And hopefully once everything starts, um, you know, we get to a new normal, so to so speak, out there, we'll be able to deliver our programming to people, um, you know, outside of just the workplace, but also in other settings as well.
0: Great. Um, yeah, I'm <laughs> looking forward to getting back to dealing with uh, in-person populations. Uh, looks mm. like I, I'm expecting to not to have summer camps and everything canceled this year uh, for us which is um are you is that likely it happened to you too at this yes point?
1: so all of, so i you know as an environmental educator um i have a couple different um employers and unfortunately we've all um everybody's pretty much decided like one one is um hog island audubon camp in maine run by national audubon society and so We are not even opening the camp. And actually, that's a camp for adults and for young people, mostly adults, though, um, for birding, which is really cool. And I'm an instructor and a a program director there. Um, And we, unfortunately, it's just, you know, it's not compatible with um, COVID-19 restrictions. And it's just, it's better that everybody stays safe, you know, this year. So um, that camp is not running. And um, a couple of the other organizations I'm involved with, we're also not running camps. And of course, across the ID boot camp, we had two sold out shorebird ID boot camps, going to be based out of the Delaware Bay um, on the Delaware side, um, and we had to just recently cancel both of those, which was, was a bummer because they were both sold out. So, you mm. know, well, there's always <laughs> next year, I guess. You know, yeah. fingers crossed, right? So, yeah. but it is challenging. Yeah,
0: yeah, I'm dealing. with and, yes, and and of course, like people um, depend on you know, these opportunities for income, you know, and that, and that, and it's, I, um, I work for government. So, you know, if the tax base, you know, we don't, we don't, the charging per program isn't our models. So we're we're more worried about our tax base in a, you know, it going down. Mm. So, um, you know, I don't know what that'll mean. Um, I'm probably fairly, safe for now but of course it would be sad if a bunch of mice if we don't hire any seasonals and our and and um newer staff you know and losing their jobs or the non-civil service staff you know like because there's civil service and then there's um non-civil service jobs within the government and so the non-civil service ones will go first and it'll be really sad to start losing your colleagues you know it'll be sad um but but for the uh um the educators that are really at working at nonprofits that absolutely depend on fee program fees. I don't know how you know. I just saw one organization had to lay off a bunch of people. It's, it's looking it's looking really scary, mm. uh, and I think our field's going to be hit really hard.
1: It is, yeah, unfortunately, like many others. But you know, I mean, like that's why um, we started this Facebook group so that we could provide environmental ed in a different way. You know, we just have to adapt and be creative, I guess, in our ways in which we reach people. So this podcast is a great way to reach people because, you know, you're sharing information and, and you know, it's a different way of connecting than what you and I are used to. Um, but, you know, there's still opportunities out there. And so, yeah. So
0: I didn't tell you, but um, the reason why I wasn't quite sure about um, what time we'd record today was, uh, well, one thing you, you do know, um, <laughs> my wife and I, are, it's getting close to our baby being born, so we bit the bullet Yay. went to Home Depot <laughs> to get paint. Um, oh, wow. I felt bad doing that, but, you know, we have a baby on the way. We got to get the room ready.
1: Right. Um, yeah, It's exciting.
0: And then we met our friend um, for a walk in the woods. And we actually got to see uh, two Bardells, which is really lovely. Ooh, yeah. But um, it's sad because her mother died of COVID-19 in the
1: Oh, in, really?
0: In a nursing home, yeah.
1: Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's so tough. And so oh she went you
0: know, it was it was, you know, we we stayed six eight feet away from her. We couldn't hug our friend, you know.
1: Right. Um, yeah. And, uh, but
0: we we've been, you know, um, it was nice. To, it was nice to see her even though sad circumstances. But the yeah. crazy thing was is yesterday, I went to CVS to pick up uh, my asthma inhaler, and mm-hmm. I got I went to get a sympathy card, and. The almost the entire sympathy card section was 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 barren. Really? Um, yeah. And oh. It wasn't like it wasn't like oh you know cards are a low priority. They're not restocking cards. Like no, they had every other kind of card. It was the get well and was thinning out, and then the sympathy cards are almost entirely gone.
1: Oh my gosh! It just, oh, it's a sign of the times, right?
0: Yeah. It was oh,
1: really, really, really tough.
0: So it just you know, and I know a lot mm. of people can't get it. So. I want to definitely talk about the ID boot camps. Um, so, for ornotherapy, you know, obviously some people can get out and get to a park and see some birds in person, but how? what are some online things people can do who maybe live in an apartment um, in the middle of the city and there's not a park that they feel safe walking in under these conditions? You know, what, what would you
1: recommend? Right. Well, it, I'm, there are great ways right now. So many different organizations are offering free webinars, um, which, you know, if, if you're up for doing any more digital time, I know everybody's kind of probably screen fatigued by now, but. At the same time, um, in addition to podcasts like yours, um, these webinars that are being offered free um, that are providing all sorts of really cool opportunities to explore different regions um, are great resources. Um, Also, the Cornell Lab of Ornithology has, you know, you can look through so many images and learn bird songs um, through Macaulay Library. So that's um, using the Macaulaylibrary.org. Um, so I would highly recommend that if you're looking for ways to connect and just to learn about birds in your area, but also in other areas of the globe. Um, and um, at, so I think as far as those those are, those are the best ways I think just just to find uh, organizations maybe local in your area, or maybe you want to learn about the birds of Australia, or you know somewhere in Senegal, or somewhere like that. There is. You know, I think a lot of um, organizations are trying to reach out right now and just provide some comfort in um, some of these these programs. I know um, I'm very involved with Hawk Mountain Sanctuary in Kempton, Pennsylvania, and um, Hawk Mountain has a really great series right now um uh, that they're bringing to everybody at home for free and you can find all of their previous webinars in fact i did one on bird song not too long ago for them how to learn bird song learning the language of birds um and that's all found on youtube so hawk mountain sanctuary has a youtube page you can go there and see all of their um at home series that they're doing um so those are all free and fantastic um and you know, so I would recommend finding resources like that to learn more. Also, um, you can pour through iNaturalist. I'm sure you talk about that on this podcast, but iNaturalist, you can learn about what people are seeing in your area, learn plants, learn lichen, fungi, everything. Birds, ants, whatever. <laughs> so anything alive. So I would recommend that for online resources
0: from home. Lovely. Um I don't look at I don't look at do you look at feeder cams much or uh Oh, you
1: know, that's a really good point. I um, do occasionally. In fact, when this all started, I got really hooked on this Panama fruit feeder. I love that, that one. Cornell, oh, gosh. the Explore.org. Oh, yeah, and I just had it running in my kitchen, like, you know, until it was dark at night. Every morning I put it on and just, like, listen to the sounds and watch the birds come in. And that was really soothing. I mean, even just hearing those natural sounds, there's also research right now that, People that uh, when they're hearing outdoor and natural sounds, it, it really reduces stress as well. So, um, you know, I would recommend if people have the opportunity to put something like that on in the background, um, if you're feeling kind of stressed out or you just kind of need to zone or zen out, you know, because um, it really does help. It's, it's amazing what that that does to your brain it, um, it's just like we are we are animals just like everything else out there and we need to like get primal right now and connect with that primal self and kind of soothe ourselves with nature you know
0: absolutely i mean nothing i mean i'm the choir here preacher i mean it's just nothing makes me feel better although what's funny is sometimes what do you say um how much do you think birding can be stressful when, mm. um, for the hardcore, you know? Yeah. Or do you think it, mm-hmm. think that it's just so much more beneficial, um, you know, the, the like the chasers, that, the compulsion to see something you haven't seen before or whatnot? Right.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, I,
0: I think it's overwhelmingly good, but I'm just kind of being silly, but.
1: Well, I think birding is actually work for a lot of people. And I mean that in the best of ways in that, um. For a lot of people, birding is a competitive sport, and and they're not just competing maybe with others, but really with themselves. I mean, you know, people, um, I have friends who, who have life lists that they're trying to um, uh, maintain and or achieve uh, a higher life list, um, and they're either pursuing that locally in their own counties here in Pennsylvania or... They're traveling throughout the United States, or some even go abroad. And um, so, in that respect, yeah, for a lot of people, um, that it's like it's pressure if a, ber- a rare bird shows up, and you have to drop everything and kind of run out the door and and go try to see this bird because of your, you know, you you um, kind of have this life list that you want to, you know, keep up to, you know, it's 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 important. to you so for some people i mean this is this is not really how i operate but i i can definitely see where um this is a drive for a lot of people and it brings them pleasure but it also can be can be stressful it can be you know like wow it's an obligation that they're they're trying to meet in their lives so um there are sacrifices that you know that you have to make sometimes with any sport you do and it's not always easy but um you know at that part of birding i think does bring some people pressures, like to get out and see a certain amount of species, and um, and and two, like a lot of us are avid eBirders, um, which means that we're submitting our data each day to um, the Cornell Lab of Ornithology's database, and you know that if you want to do it carefully, that takes time. You know, um, I just today spent um, a, a good amount of time going through photos I took. And also audio recordings I created this morning, made of birds I saw and heard, and it took me probably a good forty-five minutes to put all that media into my eBird checklist afterwards. So, you know, it's it's you know, it's not always, um, yeah, you know, it can that that can be like for some people work, um, but you know, it's all good. And that, you know, giving back to Cornell Lab and eBird is paying forward for conservation science. So, to me, that that's why I do it because it's, it's providing. Um, people indefinitely research on uh, or information uh, on where birds are and what they sound and look like. So
0: you know you're the perfect person to ask this next question because you were eBird reviewer, mm-hmm. and uh, you've um, you are responsible. So I I got two. I mean I have two birds I know I had like one is this uh, I got a third state record of of Townsend's warbler. I I oh, yeah. um <laughs> me and uh, um identified that that bird. Um technically um Wendella mm-hmm. um who was one of my uh, student workers said, Hey, there's a yellow bird there and I looked at it and um <laughs> realized it was a warbler. Um, yep, I
1: remembered. I went I chased that bird, Toby. <laughs>
0: right. Well you you got the photo that is in the the pork record. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> the, uh well you know uh since you are
1: aren't, aren't you
0: the director or not the director or the president of pork now or were you
1: yeah so i'm the the chair um of the chairperson or chairwoman chairman whatever <laughs> of the pennsylvania ornithological records committee which is the acronym is pork so yes mm-hmm.
0: so um and that bird got um you know do, that was documented and, and was accepted um and lots of people saw it um But you also – Dan and I um, got a Swainson's hawk in in Philadelphia, the first record for Philadelphia County. Um, Oh, yeah. And, no, we didn't get a photo of it, although the bird was photographed the next day um, early. We saw it at the end of the day, and and the next morning was photographed flying over Ashland Hawk Watch. And but I saw – so I saw this post. uh, There was, like, a meme, and it said – Something like about like eBird checklists without photos, and I'm and I, and I grew up before digital cameras for right, eBird. Right. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm only forty three, but I've been at birding since I was nine, and eBird in my mind took a hobby and got data from it. Mm-hmm. People who now have grown up with eBird, I feel like they're this. They're like. Why, aren't you, why don't you have a camera? Why aren't you writing all these notes? And I'm like, like, I'm like it used to be a fun thing that we turned into data. Now it's, I think some people are looking at it like it's just like responsibility. And I just, um, I'm curious as someone who is an reviewer and on, you know, the chair of the records committee for Pennsylvania, like, how do you feel? Like, are you front, do you think people need to be rolling with cameras? Or are you happy to get site records, you know?
1: So we, so, so, so yeah, it's a great question in, today's world because it's true that, um, you know, obviously a lot of people now are carrying cameras and um, utilizing not just cameras, but like I I was mentioning before, I do a lot of audio recordings as well. So you can always, uh, every smartphone has a um, a, a voice memo or, or whatever, some sort of app already embedded into it that does recordings and they're actually really good. Um, which is surprising. Uh, but they are fantastic. So um, my point in that is just saying that, yes, most people have tools now, whether it be, you know, their cell phone or their smartphone or whatever. Um, or a lot of us are carrying these big cameras around with us and, you know, for documentation um, as well as like just enjoyment of photography. So uh, the question about um, do you should, you know, what is uh, the viewpoint? Now, here's the thing. I mean, eBird and Cornell Lab um, does not require people to have, um, data, uh, photographic evidence um, or media, I should say, uh, either video, photo, or audio, to support a record that is flagged. And flagged means it's been picked out by a um, filter system because it, um, it needs more documentation to support the record. So with eBird, um, we take uh, site records. Um, those are written descriptions uh, by observers because, frankly, you can't get a photo of everything. There's going to be times when even if you're carrying a camera, you're not going to be able to do it. I mean, there are some species that are almost impossible to capture, uh, depending on what time of day or night. And, and, you know, they get away from you too quick sometimes, you know. So um, eBirds allows for site records, and that's important um, for the database. Now, having so, so the truth is on the back end, um, if, the reviewer has photos or the observer submits photos or media with their observation, it makes it that much stronger when we go and review it. And then what happens is, too, when people do record searches, um, like you or I can go into the Explore tab on eBird and search out uh, media. Like a lot of times I'll do this. I'll look at reports that only have media attached to them because I know they're stronger value because there's evidence, you know, it's like a specimen, you know, an online specimen. Now, so, so I appreciate that as an eBird reviewer because it's helpful. And also the database, I mean, it's helpful, uh, just as a person interested in birds to look and see that said, you know, we still have to maintain that people, again, aren't going to get photos of everything. And as long as there's details ruling out why it wasn't, a look-alike species, and it's something similar, or acknowledgement that yes, this was unusual, but here's why you know I identified it as such. It needs to be supported with written words um, so that you know everybody else. Because with the thing with it, eBird, and it's not just about your local eBird reviewer. And oh, they're going to accept my report. As an eBird reviewer, we are tasked to look at the records from the perspective of somebody a hundred or two hundred years from now, because eBird. Is going to be still available to people to look and see what was happening, and something that is entered into eBird, whatever you write needs to be read a hundred or two hundred years from now by another human who's going to say, "Oh yeah, that person got it right," because they don't know, like they don't know your reputation as a birder, and they also don't know what your skill level is. But if you write that bird up well and prove that you know what you saw and it gets accepted, then, then, you know, that's the criteria that I use. So I like to try to share with people that we need to be thinking forward when we're entering site records and give it as much um, information. Now, I know your eBird record that you guys submitted and uh, also to the records committee did have that, you know, you had a very detailed written report, So and that's helpful because that's what that's what people are gonna look at later on down the road, right? Yeah. So um, so that's that's my viewpoint on it. As long as the site record has supporting written details that somebody a hundred years from now is going to look at and be like, Yes, that that supports that species and that record, that observation, then then I think it's good. You know, then it's it's fine. But we do have to ask, you know, a lot of times for more Information And if we don't get enough from the observer, then our job is to, to you know, it, it doesn't get, if we have to mark it unconfirmed, which is when it won't show up in like the map searches or the, the bar charts or any of that stuff, all the data output from eBird, but it's still part of the record. Um, Are part of your personal records and it also can still be seen by researchers who can see like what was confirmed and not confirmed. So, um, but it just doesn't get put in any of the eBird output. So, so that's a long answer, but I still feel like, you know, iNaturalist and even um, some of the other um, databases, the the citizen science data or community science databases don't even allow for site observations. They have to have documentation in media right so you can't just put a written observation into INAT. you have to have a photo or audio right
0: um i think it might be i think you actually yeah. can uh, just really read, but it won't it could never be research grade yeah
1: okay right okay yeah yeah i didn't know that i thought you had to have media i could
0: be incorrect you know at the, i shouldn't know i'm supposedly on the committee for the city nature challenge for philadelphia but You know, Naveen and Robin and Billy, and all the people they recruited, uh, or I say we recruited, are doing such a good job. Uh, I just kind of, you know, took a back seat (laughs) this year, just focusing on, you know, programs that all got canceled. Of course, (laughs) I was supposed to do three, I was supposed to do four days of programs um, this weekend, and they all, you know, Monday. I mean, from Friday Mm -hmm. through Monday, they all got canceled. Yep. Uh,
1: oh,
0: just, I hear you. <laughs> oh, man. We're just over half an hour. Let me, uh, before we go, I want to just, we touched on the boot camps. If you want to go into how the boot camps, uh, what may, what exactly is an ID boot camp? Um, right. If you want to walk us through that before we go, that'd be great.
1: Sure. Okay. So Richard Crossley and I um, came up with the idea that we wanted to have take a new approach to instructional learning um, of how to identify birds. And um, we both come from um, the same background of of, um, strongly believing in uh, giving a a different type of foundation to birders um, as far as how to approach bird identification. Um, And so Richard is a phenomenal teacher, as you know, and um, has a really great approach to looking at uh, size, shape, behavior, patterns of color, um, and and I had been doing that anyway without even knowing that that was like the way he was teaching. I was also teaching that way. So when we learned that we shared very similar teaching styles, we decided to partner to bring people this type of experience. So we are super focused when we're um, working with people to teach them because um, I don't know about you, Tony, but like I work with a lot of adults who have been birding for 40 years or something like that, 30, 40 years, and they still don't have confidence in their own ability to identify. And I think part of it is how they learn. And so um, our goal is to help people learn to look at birds a little differently, um, kind of break some of the old kind of um, methodology they had in identification using um, the technique that we teach them in the field. So it's really hands-on. Um, Richard is very serious and intense as you know and so and between the two of us we really wanted to kind of like really uh, drive it home that you can learn you can have confidence it's going to take some work though it's not easy I mean identification is complicated and complex but we can simplify it by using some of the the, the tools that Richard and I um, uh, kind of deliver when we're working uh, for ID boot camps so um, it is basically a um, several-day program, generally. Um, uh, usually, it's consecutive days. Um, we've had one in Florida that we had back in early March, and um, then we were scheduled to have two in Delaware, but they had, unfortunately, they were sold out, too. Both of them back. We had two back-to-back. We had to open a second program because it was so enormously successful in selling out, and now we've had to cancel both because of COVID-19, which is a real shame. Um, because it was a shorebird ID boot camp. And as you know, shorebirds are very tricky to identify, but we were going to simplify it all for everybody. So that's what ID boot camps are all about. Um, we don't have any program lined up for 2020 uh, anymore because we decided we needed to just see where things stood with COVID 19. Um, and uh, so right now that's that's kind of on the back burner.
0: Well, so you are. are uh, um able to get back in operation um, for all our sakes.
1: (laughs) Mm, Yeah. Yep.
0: Well, this is really lovely to to talk to you and I feel like, um, you know, it's very clear that I'm going to want you to be a regular. Uh, Hopefully I'll get you back in here in in person.
1: Yeah. I would love to. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Tony. I really appreciate you allowing me to chat with you this afternoon about um, everything that we love. You and I uh, teaching people, connecting them to nature and, and bringing them opportunities to, to explore outdoors. So thank you for letting me share.
0: My pleasure. Absolute pleasure. And we shall, we'll be in touch. So everybody, thank you for uh, listening. Uh, this will be on YouTube um, as well as iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. So please like and subscribe to your uh, podcasting format of choice. Uh, we are on Patreon as well. uh wildlife cast or wildlife Obs network. And, uh, yeah, you can also, you know, uh, email us at urbanwildlifecast at gmail.com. So, thank you, Holly, and thank you all, our supporters and listeners, and stay safe and bird hard. Cheers. <laughs>